0: everybody, and welcome back to Lost with Friends. As always, I'm your host, Paul, and joining me today, two fantastic guests. Go ahead and reintroduce yourselves, guys.
1: Hey everybody, it's Jake, aka Mr. Lostpedia.
2: And this is Kev, and last time I promised to bring the energy, and I was going to keep it going the, the entire episode. I make no such promises today. I literally just woke up from a food coma. But I'm here for you, Paul, and I'm happy to be here.
0: I'm happy you're here, and I'm not going to lie, I don't necessarily have the greatest energy. I'm incredibly tired, incredibly hungry, so we're relying on you, Jake. You got to bring the pep to this one. <laughs> I am ready. <laughs> I guess. Um, you two are, I mean, we're all very good friends. We all talk quite often, but you guys are two of the guys that I've wanted to get on an episode together for so long. And I can't believe it's taken until season three for it to finally happen.
1: Yeah, you know, I've uh, ever since we got back from Hawaii here a couple months ago, I've been binging the uh, Lost with Friends. So I've been finally able to hear like Kevin's reviews on episodes and his thoughts and stuff like that. And I'm like, he's got good analysis. I mean, we all know Kevin's funny. If you meet him in person, he's a funny guy. And so I thought the same thing, too. I'm like, I got to get on an episode with Kevin.
2: Yeah, I I almost feel like it has happened, but even though it obviously hasn't, just because we we, we have talked about things before, but yeah, me and Jake just never been on an episode together. I think it's just going to flow naturally, though, so.
0: Absolutely. It always does. We are going to be discussing the episode Not in Portland, which is the episode, I believe, first when they came back from the season three, the mid-season break. Uh, it is a huge episode in that it introduces what I often claim was or is one of my favorite characters of the show, but also Kevin specifically, you wanted this episode. Was there a reason for that?
2: Um, uh, I'm not sure. I, f- I just felt like it was kind of a big episode. I like, I think last time I, I, uh, picked the episode, which was the first one coming back off the break that they did. Uh, well, I think it was 23rd Psalm, right?
0: I believe so. Uh, well, that one yeah, held I a special the, place for you. I know that as well.
2: That, yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I, I like these episodes where they come back off a of break because it's, it's like a, um, a mid-season premiere, I guess, if the previous episode had been a mid-season finale. Because uh, they, they only did six episodes. They did six episodes, which I guess weren't very well reviewed, and then took three months off. This is probably where they lost some of the, the viewership. I don't know that for sure, but I'm just assuming uh, but yeah, I, I like because uh, they try and come back strong, and I think they did here.
1: I uh, I agree, and and yeah, that three month gap was killer. Because I know, well, yeah, Paul hadn't been listening yet. Kevin, I don't think you're watching yet. Kevin, you weren't watching live I, yet. Yeah, right. No, so season I,
2: four premiere was my first live show.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I was, and and online. I think the the reason they did the six and then that huge gap was I think they said when we come back, we'll be able to give you the rest of the season without any of those uh, week gaps or like two-week gaps because that was the big criticism about season one and season two is that they'd show two episodes, take a week off, one episode, two weeks off. It was just very sporadic. So they're like, all right, we can do a little less sporadic, but we can't give you a lot up front because that's when they're making them, producing them, writing them and all that stuff. So they're like, we'll give you these six we got to take three months off, which is a little longer, you know, than a normal Christmas break is. It was from November to uh, February. And then we'll come back and just give you everything else. And, and like Kevin said too, I think they realized it was going to be kind of like that mid season premiere. So they had to bring it, you know, you just got three months off, you miss it. Boom. Here's something big for you.
0: Well, that's kind of how they did that. that I think based off of this is what they decided to do with four five and six right where they were like okay this works the uninterrupted format so let's just do this pretty much for the rest of the thing and of course not counting the writer's strike um even though i did wait until after it was over like they did it was all of their episodes were just post christmas break and they just went with it right
1: Exactly. They started going after, in like January, I want to say, or, you know, like, again, post, post-Christmas post was when they started doing uh, 4, 5, and 6. So they're like, yeah, we'll give it all to you, but it's going to be a little, you know, not your normal fall premiere.
2: And I feel like I'd like to hear more about what was going on behind the scenes, even though it has been documented. But I feel like this period specifically is where uh, probably Damon and Carlton, the other writers, had a clearer vision going forward at this point where they had taken that three month break and definitely had a path to the end. This is where they decided, okay, like we know where we're going now and what we have to do.
0: Yeah. Cause I think once you're, once it it's a matter of, okay, you know, we can do all of these shows, which a lot more shows are doing that now where they'll do, maybe it maybe it is a little more sporadic in the first half of the season but i know some other shows just wait and they're like let's get the majority of the season done like jake said the problem is a lot of times when they're first starting out a season they start in i believe i want to say it's like july or august and one of our friends actually works in television and maybe she can confirm this for us one day but like they start writing and then Because they're writing and producing the actual episodes and they're trying to finish editing and then it all starts to catch up to them at once, they start to fall behind a little bit. And that's why they'll often take a bit of a break or they'll say, you know, like especially with with shows in their first few seasons, they'll say, okay, we're going to put production on a hiatus. And that never seems like it's a good sign. Sometimes it is because they need to figure things out like, okay, how do we better budget our time? But I always like that concept of, like, let's kind of film, you know, write everything, film everything, or at least the majority of it, so that by the time it finally gets on TV, we're already working on, like, the penultimate episode and then the finale. Like, a lot of your cable shows, like, uh, I want to say, like, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul did things like that, um, American Horror Story does things similar to that, you know, where it's just like, we're going to give it to you all at once, and we basically have the entire thing before you ever see
1: it yeah because the uh i got mad respect for writers and producers and stuff like that where they do you know uh like september premieres and stuff because those episodes are pretty much coming out one week after another like no matter what like they're out of that control there and they they got a time crunch now to get things done get things filmed and everything and those episodes just keep airing and it, you're right like i said it eventually catches up with them
0: so I think we should just get started, yeah? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Let's go. We start out with Juliet sitting on a beach at night, looking slightly upset. After a moment, she gets up and we see her walking down a hallway carrying a zippered wallet type thing. This very much sets up like the premiere, I thought, where we think it's the present until she passes by Ethan in the halls. But again, similar to the premiere where we think that this and I mean, even a moment or two from now, where she says about where Rachel says that he may find out, it seemed to me that they were kind of trying to set this up as you know, like, like Kevin said, it was a mid season premiere, so kind of like a premiere in that way, where they're giving us all these things that we think, like, where does this fall in the timeline? You know,
1: yeah, all signs point to this being on island again, Ethan, beaches. The hymn reference, even the um, the hallway that Juliet's walking down, the lights are flickering, so you think this is maybe uh, some sort of Dharma station or facility or something like that in the island, because that's the kind of vibe you get from, you know, like the inside of the Hydra where things aren't well lit or anything like that. So yeah, all signs pointed to an on-island flashback, but uh, man, were we wrong?
2: <laughs> yeah. I actually have it written down. I have he'll find out in quotation marks written down because they like to play that 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 pronoun game mm-hmm. where it's kind of like he, she, they. Even Jack says later in, in the episode he says they, like they. They're being very vague with who they're referencing and trying to keep the audience guessing. And they, I feel like they do that. More, they, the show does it throughout the entire series, but I feel like it picks up even more specifically in season three.
0: I think that's probably because of you know the mystery of the others uh they introduce the concept of Jacob, you know, like all that sort of stuff, so it totally yep. makes sense mm-hmm. once she enters the apartment she's been walking towards, she sees a woman asleep with candles lit around the room. The woman is wearing a cap covering her bald head, and Juliet proceeds to unzipper the wallity thing and prepare to give this woman an injection. The woman, Rachel, wakes up and apologizes for having fallen asleep, and Juliet makes a sarcastic comment about potentially burning the place down with all the candles. She then comments that they don't have to keep doing this, but Rachel asks if this is because Juliet doesn't think it'll work or because she's afraid he will find out, as we just commented on. Um... But Juliet tells the woman to lift up her shirt and she sticks the needle in Rachel while Rachel is cringing. I got to ask. we I mean, it may have been talked about, but I don't know. They do needles and, and all sorts of stuff like that a lot on this show. And while I was watching it, all I could think was um, my mother tells me that when I was a kid and I used to go to the doctor's. Uh, you know, there's always the thing of like, oh, kids hate needles. You see videos about it. People tell you stories all the time, but whenever they would like do blood work on me, like they would have to move my head out of the way because they couldn't see. Cause I was so interested in like, what are you doing? What's this going into me right now? Uh,
1: huh.
0: Yeah. You don't really hear the whole natural curiosity thing very often
1: from kids.
2: No. And to this day, I'm the exact opposite. I don't mind getting needles. You know, you got to do blood work, whatever. I, I don't even flinch, but I don't look. That's my whole thing. Like, it's like, if I don't look, it's not happening. So I had, uh, I had like a full, full physical and blood test, blood work and everything like not too long ago, a couple months back. And they took like 12 vials of my blood. So I'm sitting there for a while. And she, you know, kept going and kept going. I didn't look. I didn't look the entire time until it was done. And, like, there I see all the blood they took. So it's funny that I'm the exact opposite of you.
0: (laughs) Uh, When Juliet is done, Rachel makes the joke about Juliet not being a good doctor. And Juliet says that she's not doing any of this as her doctor, but as her sister. She then comments that she doesn't like Rachel being here alone and offers for Rachel to come live with her. But Rachel insists that she likes living on the beach. Juliet walks to the window, opens the curtain, and reveals the ocean and a city skyline. She mentions that it's Miami, and everything is on the beach. And we even see an oceanic plane fly by.
1: The only thing that would have made this better, and I know Paul will agree. I knew is you were going to go here. If Will Smith's Miami started playing as soon as the <laughs> – I
0: knew as soon as you started saying the only thing that would have made this better, I'm like, he's going to bring up Party of the City where the Heat is on. Like,
2: <laughs> Yep. And by the way, that's not true because especially in the part of Miami that she's in right there, it's not all a beach.
0: No, not true at all. On island, Juliet is in the OR with Jack. Everything from the cliffhanger midseason finale just uh, is actually in the middle of going down. We hear Jack telling Kate that uh, she has an hour head start to take Sawyer and go. We once again hear the exchange about Jack reminding Kate of the count to five story and how that's their signal that she's safe. But she keeps saying she doesn't want to leave without him. He's worried uh, I'm sorry, all he's worried about is her getting off the island safely. After some back and forth, he yells for her to run.
2: Not just run. Kate,
0: damn it, run! Very, very powerful, uh, both episodes
1: hearing
2: that. Very powerful. I, I love that ending, how they just ended the last uh, the last of those first six episodes with Jack screaming, Kate, damn it, run, and is They do a lot of cliffhangers, but that was one of my favorites, actually.
0: Yes. I was going to comment on the fact that, Jake, you've said to me several times over the last few weeks about the fact that you consider I do and not in Portland to kind of be one gigantic episode. Is it because we see like that ending and then it's the beginning here and then it's just the fact that it picks up right after and the fact that you know much like most of us we don't really like gaps in our binge programming <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly
1: so again it, it picks up right where we left off and now it's about the uh, escape of sawyer and kate and how they're gonna try to uh, get off the island and everything so yeah that's how i saw it i always saw it as like a part one and a part two because again it does pick off uh, pick up Right where the last one leaves off
0: at the cages, Kate and Sawyer, uh, hit Pickett and Jason, the other, other, um, back in the OR Tom orders Juliet to fix Ben, but Jack uses her own line from a previous episode against the situation by reminding them that she's not a surgeon. And she confirms that this is correct. On Kate and Sawyer, Sawyer gets revenge on Pickett by shocking him with the complicated food gizmo. And I love that part every time. <laughs> Especially because, like, I mean, Kate even
1: says, like, all right, let's go. But, like, Sawyer's like, no, 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 no. I'm not done yet. Here's an out of this world beatdown for all the crap that Sawyer's got in the past few episodes. So, yeah, it is wonderful. Especially, I mean, we've. Uh, you've talked about with, with several guests the picket hate and I'm right on board with that pickett's a, a horrible character and stuff so like watching him get shocked electrocuted hilarious
2: yeah. shocked not shot by the way and shocked, yes. very <laughs> shocked. uh very satisfying that's one of those fist pump moments right there
1: yeah yeah you're 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 rooting for Sawyer, yeah. Yeah, he could have just left it, like when Kate said, "Let's go." Yeah, Sawyer could have went then, but he's like, "No, no, 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 no. This ends. Like, you know, or like I'm gonna put a little cherry on top here and the exclamation shot... point. Yes,
0: and it's funny because like so often we see, and I mean, yeah, we all like Sawyer to be the bad boy, and we like those moments where he does end up being a little more mature. You know, he he becomes throughout the course of the series he he, you know he becomes more of like the leader and he realizes like okay i can't be out for revenge all the time but it is nice to see old school sawyer i'm just gonna do this basically for shits and giggles you know come back (laughs) out one more time (laughs) yes uh kate yells for him to come along and they lock the others in the cages Back in the OR, Tom is asking Juliet what their plan is, and Juliet looks at another other telling him to go get Kate and Sawyer and to bring them back. And Jack says that if they do this, Ben will die. But she counters this, saying that Jack won't let that happen. And she says to the other that if he has to, he has permission to kill Kate and Sawyer. Now, Liam and I were talking about it recently, and I, I don't remember if I left it in the episode or not, but we were talking about the fact that... um, do you guys think that Tom was uh, like a second hand to Ben? Uh, you know, like we know that Richard is like the advisor and he's, you know, one could argue he's actually in charge of the others. But in terms of Ben being in charge, do you think Tom was like his right hand man, his second in charge? Or do you think that fell to someone more like Ethan or Juliet or somebody else?
2: I'm going to say... That it, and I have this in my notes and it, it becomes more evident later that Tom has we it's funny because when we initially meet him, we think he's the guy. Right. Not Wayne, but <laughs> he's, he's the leader. He's the leader. Right. Um, but it, it turns out that he becomes this sort of comic relief really more than anything uh, as far as the others go. And it's, you know, I don't know. I know Paul hasn't seen The Sopranos. Jake, are you familiar with The Sopranos?
1: I have not watched
2: it either. No? Okay, so this is going to go over both your heads, but I'm still going to say it anyway. All right, if Ben is Tony Soprano, uh, Richard, who we meet in this episode for the first time, definitely his uh, consigliere. So he would fill the Silvio role, but Tom is that Paulie Walnuts role, where, you know, he's he's a big guy. He's higher up. He has a direct connection to the boss but really he's there for comic relief
0: knowing the godfather and other mafia things i totally i don't get the reference to the character names but i totally get like the consigliere and and you know like the the guy who's higher up and and isn't really he's he's trusted but he's not really trusted so i do get it even if yeah. i don't get the sopranos reference
2: yeah i guess uh maybe uh godfather uh, Tom Hagen, that's that's Ben and Richard, and maybe uh, Luca Brassi, maybe something like that. Okay. That, that, that'd be Tom.
1: I mean, I will say Tom is pretty darn loyal, so I think that earns him a lot of points and gets him higher on the hierarchy.
0: I mean, I, I don't know about, yeah, second in command per
1: se, but definitely high up there.
0: Oh, yeah. I definitely think he's in the inner circle, you know, like the like the trusted circle of like who, you know, because I I mentioned uh, to Liam that like even, you know, obviously Richard is there. I think Tom would probably be at least they they try to portray him as, you know, like the second in command. Uh, I think Ethan would have been in that trusted circle. They try to make Miss Clue be a character like that, but I don't think it really comes off that way. Um, But I think with Juliet, it was just a matter of it's that unrequited love thing, where he basically kind of pulls her into the inner circle, and he's just like, "I love you so much, and look, I trust you to be part of you know the the grand others council. Love me, you know."
2: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And Juliet here, I really was. Uh, this just in her first big episode here, like she. Manages to confuse me and that kind of becomes her MO throughout the series is like with with her erratic decision making up until the end. You don't know whether she's putting on an act or if she's really changed her mind about what she wanted done before or if she's just mad that Jack is not doing it the way exactly the way she wanted you know, we really never know her motive because her motive seems to change.
0: Fan of Juliet or not a fan of Juliet? Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I like where she ended ended up, put it that way. But th- this was always my chief complaint uh, with her, even more so than some other characters, is her 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 decision-making skills. Yeah. Whether it was intentional or not. <laughs>
1: piggy making off that too, like I even think of like season five, you know, towards the finale and stuff like that. She kind of flip flops.
2: Yeah, the uh, incident hers. was the worst <laughs> example of that. I mean, we'll get to it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. Yeah, I'm I'm very mixed on Juliet myself. I think she's one of the stronger uh, female characters for sure. But when it comes to the decision making or where uh, her mind lies, yeah, it starts to get a little weird.
0: I know amongst our friend group there are certain people who absolutely hate her and then there are people who absolutely love her um, partly because she is the strong female character and that that's needed more in pop culture but i definitely think that the decision making thing should be a factor in that
2: yeah and, I, and that's why originally i wanted to if it wasn't me could have been jake whatever uh we know it's it's esteban's favorite character so I would have loved him to be here to, to first of all, correct us on all this Miami stuff, and second of all, defend <laughs> uh, his favorite character.
0: In flashback, Juliet is in a research lab and has to use a restricted access card to get into it. She answers a call on her phone, which is someone confirming her 2 o'clock appointment to meet with Dr. Albert, saying that she represents Midoulos Bioscience. Midoulos, of course, lost time anagram Mm -hmm. um after she confirms uh and hangs up she goes for some vials that read test sample the lights turn on and a man is showing a young woman around but they're kissing and flirting the whole time juliet has hidden but after a moment her cell phone rings once again the man edmund walks over and sees her hiding she's embarrassed as they exchange pleasantries He asks why she's there, and she tries to make up an excuse about lab work, not wanting to tell him about the vials. The woman he entered with tries to get his attention back, and Edmund does that awkward thing that I can confirm does happen in real life, where he decides to try and introduce the two women. But like, oh my god, is that so awkward. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, I've been there.
0: He mentions the woman, uh, Sherry, and he says that Juliet is his ex-wife and that she was just leaving. Juliet then goes to leave, and Edmund digs it in a little deeper, asking her to turn the lights off on her way out, which she does.
2: That just seemed unnecessary, but we're setting this guy up as a dick from the start, so I guess, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: This guy, I've seen him in lots of stuff. I couldn't pronounce his name for the life of me. If you ever asked me to pronounce the actor's, name. I
1: can't. Yeah, I look at it and I'm like, oh, I'm like that's just a mess of random letters. Like, yeah,
0: not uh, even gonna
2: try.
1: <laughs> oh, I need to like Google it and actually like have something else say it or something. But uh,
0: yeah, see if he's been it, on like Jay Leno or something where somebody announces his name. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, but, but he uh, always plays was, like I, a jerk character. Yes, yeah, I, was,
2: I was looking at him in this scene and I'm just like, he, he just reminds me of somebody who'd be like an evil vampire or something. And then <laughs> sure enough, I look it up and he was the magister on True Blood, who was one of the oldest, most powerful vampires on the show. So I, I don't know. I guess I just recognize him uh, subconsciously in my head from that. And he was also the governor in Oz, who was always kind of a dick. So I guess it's you know, he's just kind of typecast into that role
0: absolutely he does it very well I'll tell. I'll give him that yeah back on Hydra Island in the OR Juliet is telling Jack that he hasn't thought this process through he questions her on this and she finally lets him in on the secret that they're not on the main island they're on a smaller island Jack is incredibly confused and looks to Tom for confirmation who makes it official but I don't quite understand because like if out of anybody in this room juliet is the one that realistically he has somewhat put his trust in so why does he think that basically his like if his captors and i mean i understand like he's not actually thinking in this moment but like his captors are potentially lying to him why would he turn to another one of them and be like is this true like of course they're gonna confirm what the other one just said <laughs> exactly uh,
2: Tom's just good kind of doing that you know comic relief, like, yeah, duh, kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, She asks Jack if they can come to some other sort of understanding, a peaceful resolution, as she says. And he mentions her video where she asked him to kill Ben and make it look like an accident. She tries to act like she doesn't know what he's talking about and tells Tom that it's ridiculous. Jack says that she wants Ben to die and she's trying to tell Tom that he's lying. Finally, Tom yells for Juliet to get out. She tries to explain, but he tells her that if she can't help fix Ben, she doesn't need to be there at all. And as she's leaving, she tells Tom not to let Jack fool him. He'll never let a patient just die. And that's one of those moments where, you know, all the rec- you know, Jack has mentioned, uh, like, when they first met and he's just like, oh, you don't know anything about me. And she gives him all of these facts, but that's one of those things that like no file could never could ever necessarily give.
2: And, and yeah, we kind of know she's telling the truth, but at the same time, she did ask him to do it. So, you, know, what was the motivate the what was the motivation of her even asking in the first place? Did she she wanted just putting him to the test. Like I don't know, the whole thing gets confusing to me.
0: Well, see, Liam and I posited at one point that potentially Ben was – Ben knows that the tape was made and that they just wanted to see if they could push Jack or if they could get him to kind of trust her a little more or kind of like what his limits would be in terms of Juliet because we know that they used Juliet to try to – you know, get some sympathy out of him or get, you know, like manipulate him in some way. So was that just another level of that manipulation?
2: Yeah, I could see that. Um, but you're still, like, ultimately you're putting your life in this guy's hands. So it's kind, kind of risky.
0: But Ben always has a plan. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Well actually
1: and I mean you'll you'll hit it probably when we get there but when Ben wakes up he actually says I didn't see this coming. Right. And I was like when I heard that I was like oh crap. I was like but he's always got a plan. He's always got a backup plan to the plan. He's always got a backup to that too. And for him to admit that he didn't see this coming I was like gasp. Yeah. <laughs> Gasp! <laughs> Gasp. That's like, well, That's what I put in the notes, but it's probably the same noise that I made when I heard that, too. Gasp! Uh.
0: At the cages, Pickett is yelling at the cameras, hoping someone will see him and let them out. The other from the OR then comes to let them out, and uh, I love how he's just like, where did they go? And Pickett's just like, let me out of the damn cage! <laughs> Elsewhere, Kate and Sawyer are running through the jungle, and they make it to the beach. And Kate finally gets the confirmation that they're not on their island. And even Sawyer almost rhetorically questions why she didn't believe him. And she <laughs> mentions needing a boat. I gotta say, I would probably have been in the same thing, just like, just like uh, Kate, just like you know Jack. Moment ago, it, it just seems too far fetched, to a certain extent. I think.
2: You have to see it, and that was the the whole point behind Ben taking Sawyer to see it, right? Yeah, like if you don't see it, you don't believe it.
0: It just kind of raises the question that they you know the, that people have asked, and like Michael even asked towards the end of season one because they said that like so Hydra Island and so you know correct me if I'm wrong, but Hydra Island is smaller than the main island. But Correct. Hydra Island is twice the size of Alcatraz. Now I don't know how big Alcatraz is, but I would assume it would be because it's one of the it's a it's a pretty big prison, right? So how big is the main island? You know? Um How many yeah. days did it take for
1: the Talies to trek across
0: it?
2: Yeah, because I think the, day, the, the main island is bigger than anyone really gave it credit for. Uh, especially when the show started.
0: Yeah. I don't know, Jake. You're Mr. Laspedia. You should be able to answer your own question.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's any scales on these maps. There's plenty of maps of the island, of course, but I don't know if anybody's ever, like, scaled it. and uh,
2: has a, if, as a if you were to tell me it's actually as big as the island of Oahu, I would believe you. Yeah. Okay. That would make sense to me.
0: Actually, I had a friend who got into Lost after the show was over. And uh, I I think it was like when I was getting ready to go to Hawaii the first time. And he he had watched it. And he was, you know, another one of those people who didn't understand the ending. He wasn't really that interested in it. You know, he was watching it, but he didn't really care. And he was just like, you know, telling me like, oh, yeah, this is what this meant. And I'm just like, you're totally wrong about everything. Like, I wish you actually cared enough that I could try to explain this to you. But he tried convincing me that uh, he's like, well, they were flying from Australia to California. What's in the middle of there, Paul? It's Hawaii. That's where they landed was on one of the uninhabited islands of Hawaii, obviously. And I'm like. No, because at the I'm like, you watched the show. So at the end of season four, they go to another island and then fly them into the airport in Hawaii. Like, how could they have landed in Hawaii if they then travel to Hawaii? Like, it doesn't make sense. And he's like, good point. Good point. But I, I still think it was like one of the uninhabited islands because they have those there. Right. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah.
2: in the the south pacific maybe but not definitely not not hawaii
1: the pilots like we turned around like he said they should have been hitting what guam or something like that like that's not hawaii like two different (laughs) spots
0: yeah he was he was trying to convince me of this the one day and i'm just like i need to walk away from this conversation now
1: (laughs) good move paul good move
0: Once Kate says about needing the boat, Sawyer sarcastically replies about a few towels and a buffet lunch as well, which I could probably go for right now. (laughs) She also mentions that if they walk the beach, they may happen upon a boat at some point, and she uses the walkie-talkie to communicate with Jack. They make sure each other is okay before Sawyer finally tells her to get to the point. And she gives him... I I said confirmation before, but I think this is now the real confirmation that he needed about the fact that they're not on the main island. And she says that they need a boat. And Jack looks at Tom, demanding that he help them. Jack then hears shots fired through the walkie-talkie. And the next shot actually hits the walkie-talkie itself. And Jack is yelling for Kate.
2: Everybody on Lost, and it seems like everybody on TV, is a sharpshooter. Like... Do you know how hard it is to shoot a walkie-talkie out of someone's hand and not hit their hand?
1: Well, it seems like they're only sharpshooters when they need to be because then, like, I made a note a little later that the others shoot, like, stormtroopers at times. (laughs) Like, here they were, like, on the beach. Like, yeah, you hit that walkie, great, but how are you not able to hit people which are a bigger target than you know uh than the walkie like yeah. oh yeah even I mean, even
0: Pickett going after michael right before you know the the hunting party three minutes episode he's just a few feet away from him and he can't aim at him
2: yeah yeah, yeah it's like the cliche gunfight which you know whatever they <laughs> they got to use it they got to use it but yeah. it's so easy just to pick it apart <laughs>
0: It's funny, Jake, you go with stormtroopers. I always go back and forth between like stormtroopers and like James Bond villains because, you know, like the henchmen villains, whatever, like the the lackeys, because they are they can never aim either. Same. Yep. Same thing. Back on the beach, uh, it's Pickett and his men shooting at Kate and Sawyer. Sawyer has been shooting back a little and they hide behind some trees before he runs out of ammo. Suddenly, Alex shows up and hits one of the others with her slingshot. She tells Sawyer and Kate to follow her, which they do. And wow, what crazy luck that she just happened to show up at the exact moment that they needed her.
2: And apparently, is Kate Bishop with a slingshot, by the way, too, because oh, by the way, Kate Bishop is the female Hawkeye in Marvel Comics.
1: Ah, gotcha.
2: Not yet. Yeah. Okay, so maybe <laughs> maybe Lisa will get that one. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if anybody else will, but. Um, yeah, she, she doesn't miss either, and she's slinging rocks, really. Not, not like, you know, a drug dealer out on the street, but <laughs> quite literally slinging rocks.
0: <laughs> As they're running through the jungle, Alex lifts up a camoed top, revealing a small pit in the ground, which they get into. Pickett and his men are seen and heard above them, looking for where our heroes went. As they leave, clearly chasing nothing, Kate and Sawyer... Breathe a sigh of relief, and Sawyer thanks Alex, calling her Sheena. Now, I've probably looked it up before, but someone remind me what the Sheena reference is, please.
2: Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, speaking of comic book characters, she was, uh, I believe, the first female character to have her own uh, comic book series, even before Wonder Woman, goes back to the 20s or 30s.
0: Okay. Yeah. Nice. In the OR, we see Ben's face. Uh, it's a shot upwards from the floor. Tom is asking Jack if Juliet really asked him to kill Ben, and he confirms that, saying in about 40 minutes, she'll get her wish. We then hear Ben's voice, very groggy, saying that that isn't helping anything. And I just, I, that was the gasp moment for me, I gotta say, where I'm just like, what? He's awake? Like, <laughs> that is 100 100- percent never supposed to happen <laughs> right like that is the fear I think <laughs> I think
2: that's a lot of people's fear going into any kind of surgeries that like, what if I wake up in the middle of it like that like that's the worst fear
0: in flashback, Juliet is working at the lab seen earlier. The woman from the night with Edmund, Sherry, approaches her and says that Edmund wants to see Juliet. And Juliet is incredibly confused and asked if the woman actually works there. And she confirms that she's the new research assistant. And Juliet simply responds with, Of course you are. Of course. In Edmund's office, he's looking over some paperwork before telling Juliet that he wants in. She's confused, but he tells her that he knows about the side research that she's been doing, what she took from the lab, and asks about her test subject. She mentions having done her own research on her own time, but he switches it back to ask if it's Rachel, Juliet's sister. When she doesn't say anything, he tells her that there's two ways that this plays out. Either she's considered a genius, or serious serious ethical and even criminal questions are raised. And he tries blackmailing her that if she lets him put his name on it, it'll be cutting-edge science, they'll win awards, they'll drink champagne, and they'll do good for people. And I, I think it's funny that basically I would think what he considers the least important part is at the end there. Uh, yeah, I almost
1: like he threw it in there to like, oh, I got to make myself look like a good human and we'll help people. You know, like, like the, well, yeah,
0: because that's the thing that's going to get her because that's what she cares about. So he'll be like, we'll win awards. We'll get recognition. We'll drink champagne. Yeah. And, and save people, too. Oh, I guess. And,
1: and the people think, you, yeah, you get, we get
0: to help people, too. But the
1: champagne. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> uh, he says he'll give her time to think about it. Back on the island, Juliet is pacing forth outside the Hydra station and Tom comes out to tell her that Ben is awake. She questions this and mentions and he mentions that Jack is a spinal surgeon, not an anesthesiologist. And like to me, like even as like super critical audience member like that, that's enough for me. Like having watched medical shows and knowing a certain amount, I'm just like, I totally get it. Like he doesn't know that, you know. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, they're two different roles. A spinal surgeon isn't going to learn everything that an anesthesiologist would need to know. So it it made perfect sense to me, and then I kind of realized, oh, maybe that's why Ben yeah woke up, because Jack just didn't know the correct amounts or correct procedures. Because, again, spinal surgeon, he's never—back in the hospital, he never had to worry about that, because there's one person specifically for that role.
0: Exactly. In the jungle, Kate and Sawyer— Kate Sawyer and Alex exit the pit, and Sawyer asks if digging holes is her hobby, and I love her one-liner about that and basket weaving, and she asks if he wants one. (laughs) (laughs) Sawyer asks if she has a tunnel to the other island, but she says that she actually has a boat. Kate questions if they can use it, and she says that she'll allow them, and Sawyer immediately knows that there's going to be a catch and she comes clean that her boyfriend is being held prisoner, and that they need to get him back to the main island as well. Sawyer asks if it's Carl, and she's surprised that he knows him, and Sawyer agrees to help. That's kind of that the opposite of that moment before, like I was talking about like where we like to see Sawyer sometimes be a little more mature, and you know like, yeah, you know what, I will help this kid i you know I kind of felt bad for him, he got beat up earlier, he was being held prisoner just like me, you know. And we get to see that versus before where he was just like, I'm going to shock this guy. (laughs) Back in the OR, Jack is still confused and trying to explain to Ben that he stopped the surgery. Ben says he knows and he's been able to hear everything for a little bit and it's clever. And he can't believe that he didn't see it coming, as you mentioned before, Jake. Jack asks if he's in pain and Ben tells him he isn't, but thanks him anyway. I just love that part where he's just like, thanks all the same.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's. we've said it many times, but it bears repeating that uh, Michael Emerson does a fantastic job. Oh, yeah. yeah like, he, he's doing an amazing job with what I assume would be a, a pretty difficult task of trying to act like you're, you know, half under anesthesia and half coming out of it. So.
0: And he's upside down. Well, not upside down, but he's kind of upside down, basically.
2: He's just face down and and <laughs> yeah, like he's he does an amazing job with what he's he's tasked with here.
0: Yeah. Give Michael Emerson all the awards. Give him a Grammy. Even somebody have him record like a spoken <laughs> word album. Give him, Give him a Grammy. Give him a Tony. Give him all. He got he got he yep. got.
2: Yeah, yes. yep. it wouldn't surprise me if he already has one. <laughs>
0: Juliet and Tom come in, and Ben mentions wanting to speak with Juliet alone. Jack refuses, but Ben asks him one gentleman to another for a minute alone with her, and he mentions how he only has about 27 left. As he's leaving, Jack tells Juliet not to touch Ben in any way. Jack tells them that they have three minutes. Which is weird, because like as much as all the numbers are the recurring things, like three minutes is like a re- like a, you know, a recurring motif on the show.
2: Not many numbers in this episode, not many of our numbers, at least. There are numbers, but trying to make the correlation, and it's not really there.
0: Jack then moves to the gallery window. We see Ben talking, but we can't hear anything. And much to your point earlier, Kevin, Tom takes that moment to be the comic relief and formally introduces himself to Jack as, I'm Tom, by the way. And this also uh, led to a lot of the, the gay
1: rumors about him. They're like, oh, is he trying to, like, low-key, maybe try to hit on, like, Jack or something, <laughs> like, trying to start really? a conversation with Jack? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, just as, like, uh, his awkward, I'm Tom, because Tom's name has been, I think it was, like, yelled earlier and everything like that. Like, I don't, Tom didn't need to formally introduce himself like that, but, like, he took that weird, awkward moment to do it, and then people were like, yeah, maybe he was trying to, like, you know... Again, we'll oddly hit on Jack or try to spark up conversation <laughs> between them. But, yeah. I,
2: di- I didn't pick up on that, but you know what? It makes sense. I'll roll with it.
0: Yeah, I never Again, yeah. I never people got are, that, but yeah, okay. Yeah, people were already in the whole,
1: like, Tom must be gay thing from, from you know, the uh, season premiere thing. And they're just like, feel to the fire.
0: Yeah, I just, I kind of, I, I, I got to say, I kind of love that, the fact that, like, maybe there was other things, but based off of his line of Kate isn't his type. So basically, if he doesn't find Evangeline Lily attractive, he has to be gay. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's the only other explanation.
2: <laughs> Clearly. And by the way, uh, Paul, you'll be relieved to find out that there are no uh, little hints uh, with the subtitles, when the when they're when Ben and Juliet are talking and it's inaudible to us, there's no little hints. It doesn't give anything away. So Speaking this is one of situation that, where wa- watching with the subtitles did not pay off.
1: Kevin, you got me into the whole subtitles thing. Like I listened to audio as well, but I was like, you know what? I'm doing this episode with Kevin. Let me throw the subtitles on too. Nice. And, you know, if I catch it on and. Uh, I may start doing that more often. See, yeah.
0: I got. I I did not do it with this episode. I have done it with others, but it wasn't. It wasn't this one. I actually. Uh, I tried doing it with a previous one, and I don't remember. Now, off the top of my head, I don't remember which one, and I don't remember what was going on. But there. Oh, it was. Uh, and maybe I just missed it. But when when Echo dies, and he whispers something to Locke, but it it seems like it's not the same thing that Locke says. Uh, you know, a moment later. Um, Right. I don't remember if the, I don't, I don't remember seeing if the subtitle said whatever he actually said, but yeah, I tried with that and I was just like, you know, okay, nothing this time.
2: (laughs) Doesn't always work, but sometimes.
0: Yeah. Tom actually mentions to uh, Jack that Ben and Juliet have history and she exits the OR and tells Jack to go in and finish the surgery because she's going to help his friends escape in exchange. In flashback, Juliet is in a conference room being presented a slideshow by a man, Dr. Albert. Here we go. Richard yeah. <laughs> uh, And we have no idea at this point when we're, you know first watching this that that this guy is going to be like a huge part of of anything. You know, that's the that's the kind of things that I like is, you know, when we first see like Desmond, when we first see uh, you know, like all these other uh, even, you know, previously, uh we saw a hint of Mikhail and you know, you get the hint of like, oh yeah, something's going on with him, but you don't necessarily think that he's going to play a huge part in like he's a huge reason why they can't communicate with the outside world and all that other sort of stuff.
2: And it's like I said uh, earlier, they kind of had the clearer vision, uh, and now we see them introducing new characters who we know are going to play a big part, and we know that at this point, Juliet's going to stick around for a while. We're introducing Richard, you know, Uh, Desmond is about to have his first real real big episode uh, the next episode after this, I believe, so...
0: Albert uh, uh, thanks Juliet for joining and tells her a little bit about Middle East Bioscience. He says that they're just outside of Portland, Oregon, and he shows her some extremely cheesy posed pictures of people on the grounds, having fun, riding bikes, just generally being happy. And he mentions that they're privately funded, which means freedom. He says how they organize trips in and around the Portland area for fun. And he's really trying to give her this version of the sales pitch but she doesn't know what to say and this is not it she doesn't see i don't think she seems interested at all in this you know this version at least of the sales pitch because she even says that she's flattered but doesn't understand why the company would want her and he goes on to talk about uh he asks her if it's true that she impregnated a male field mouse she confirms it but that it didn't come to term and when he says that, I'm just like, what?
2: Really? Is this is a thing? Is this what people are trying to do in the <laughs> world?
1: This is what money is spent on?
2: <laughs> like we're impregnating male mice? Is this the, the the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie?
0: There was a Paul and All episode that Jake and I did where we were, we were reading about, I want to say it was in Japan, uh, this uh, scientific study, which you know that somebody had to pay for, where it was about how uh, Macaw female macaws have sexual relations with what was it jake was it horses Um, yeah or it was uh something big like that or it was like horses or donkeys or something like that and it was just like it was talking about how this is like a whole government study thing I think, like I said, I think it was in, like, Japan or something, but, like, that's what they spend money on is researching the sexual habits of macaws and, like, horses or whatever. Okay. (laughs)
2: Um, I thought this only happened in Arnold Schwarzenegger movies from the 90s, but apparently I'm wrong. (laughs)
0: Richard then shows her another slide asking what she sees. She goes to get a closer look, and she says that it's a female womb and appears to be in her 70s. And she mentions some medical jargon. I don't quite remember what it was, but it basically says about like there's tearing along the, the walls and stuff like that to make it, it looks like that the woman is in her 70s. And this is when Albert confirms that she's actually 26. And Juliet, of course, wants to know what happened. And Albert tells her that she could find out. Unlimited money, unlimited staff. They think she's special and they want her to head up this project. And she mentions that she can't. And she tries to play it off that her ex-husband, Edmund, wouldn't allow her. Albert mentions that they could reach out to him on her behalf. But she says she does... uh, And I'm sorry... Albert mentions that they could reach out to him on her behalf, but basically she says that, she, that uh, he doesn't want good things for her, and Albert asks if there's any way, and she makes a really dark joke about him getting hit by a bus. She realizes this was a mistake and apologizes for making the joke and then for wasting his time. As she begins to leave, he's telling her to stop and talk, but she mentions that she's not a leader, she's a mess.
2: Well, that's one thing I, we can all agree on, given her uh, decision-making skills.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> and I just want to mention real quick, uh, like, when she says, you know, maybe if he got hit by a bus. Now, I had an English teacher when I was in middle school, and basically his whole method of teaching was having you sit there and watch a movie. And, you you know, class is only 40-some minutes, so you got to do it over the course of three or four days sometimes, you know, that you're sitting there watching a movie and he'd pause it at certain points to interject. And this is the point where he would pause it and say in a real corny voice. And I wasn't particularly fond of this teacher. If you haven't picked that up, but he would pause right there where she says, maybe if he gets hit by a bus and he'd say foreshadowing class (laughs) and and
1: techniques literary techniques yeah
2: exactly like he's trying to (laughs) but at the same time he's also ruining it for what's going to happen later but he's letting you know foreshadowing class and that has never you know left my mind since i was a kid oh that's because Uh, you're
0: such an anti-spoiler person you had to have hated that exactly Oh, (laughs) oh man on Hydra Island, ben, uh, in Ben's monitor room, Juliet is checking the cameras. She sees Kate and Sawyer and Alex all together, and I believe she says something like, Oh, hell, or something like that, because uh, she realizes the trouble that is being caused. At another building on the island, another Aldo, is reading Brief History of Time and Our Hero's Spy from the Bushes. Uh, Rob McElaney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia yeah from what i understand he was a fan of the show and became kind of friendly with damon lindelof and basically said like i would love to get a part on the show one day
2: and Sonny was on the air at this point or no
1: Yeah, Sunny's on like season forty-five or something like that. Uh, (laughs) I think
0: I I think it's I think it started. It had to have started around the same time because I think Sunny and like Grey's Anatomy, which also started around the same time as Lost, are on like the same like you know season like fourteen or fifteen by now.
1: Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're they're pretty deep into uh, their season count here.
0: Alex mentions that Carl should be in the building that Aldo appears to be guarding, and Sawyer gets upset that she isn't 100% sure, and she says that it's the only place that she hasn't looked yet. Sawyer calls her Lollipop. Don't quite get that reference. Maybe I missed something.
2: Yeah, I didn't get that one either. There's another one later that I don't get, but we'll get into that.
0: And uh, he asks how they get in, and she says that she has an idea. A moment later, Aldo is making notes in the margins of his book when Alex emerges, holding Kate and Sawyer as if she's captured them. She demands that he opens the door, and he freaks out not knowing what's going on. She mentions how her dad told her to bring them there, but he can question the boss if he wants to. He won't be busy or anything. Aldo then takes this opportunity to talk into the walkie and ask for Ben, and Pickett confirms that Ben is in surgery before Aldo mentions having Kate and Sawyer. They use their last names a lot. I've noticed that. I always just refer to them as their first names, but they always reference like you know Ford and Austin and Shepard. And I wonder what that maybe it's to to continue to keep them separate. Like they you know Tom Juliet Ben uh, even Danny they they call him Danny instead of Pickett for the most part. But whenever they're referencing like the survivors, it's always Austin Ford Jara. Uh, Ray is like it's it's very strange to me
2: I feel like it's kind of how uh, a warden would address prisoners okay if you, if you I think if you if you watch a prison show like in Oz like in Orange is the New Black even I, I feel like they, ne- they they never address them by first name even if it's not inmate it would be anything but the last name you know
0: okay Kind of a way
2: of asserting uh, power over someone.
0: That makes sense. I like that. Pickett yells to keep them where they are before Sawyer punches Aldo to the ground and smashes his walkie-talkie. And he then mentions that uh, Aldo fell for the old Wookiee prisoner gag. I love that line.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one
0: uh alex asks where carl is but he won't answer uh kate says to shoot him in the knee and that she then takes the gun and says that she'll do it herself for not answering and he realizes that she isn't playing around and he gives them the answers they want she hits him with the butt of the rifle and inside sawyer is congratulating her on the con saying that even he almost believed that she would have shot him and kate confirms she would have shot him (laughs)
1: I love that. It's just like, Kate's like, I'm so done with this. Like we are going to get what we need. However the hell we got to get it. I got to shoot somebody in the knee, cap them in the knee. I'm doing it.
0: Yeah. She's like, she's, she's so close. She could almost taste the other Island and she just wants to get there so (laughs) bad.
2: (laughs) And I believe her too. I believe she would have done it.
0: Yes. Oh yeah, for Uh, sure.
2: And one thing, like I thought we were going to escape like, a trope of the show where Sawyer takes down Otto, you know, and he falls back and he hits his head. And I thought, okay, good. That's how they take him down. But no, then we go right back to the, Oh, now I'm going to hit you in the head and knock you out with the butt of a rifle, which we see way too much on this show.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's like the go-to move. <laughs> yep. Alex finds the room that they're looking for and they enter. And I didn't know, How, like, what to write in this. So I'm hoping maybe you guys have a little more in terms of, like, the kind of overall feeling of the room. All I wrote is, it's a strange mix of music, images, video, text, all while Carl has strange glasses on and appears to be drugged. It looks like a bad drug trip.
1: I said it was brainwashing in a way, I guess. That's the vibe I got from it, because he was definitely entranced by everything going on. Like, it seemed like he couldn't break free of it.
0: Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah, I wasn't sure what to write either. Like, I just left an empty note that just says Room 23, because I know this was such a big deal when it happened. But looking back, it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, everybody was trying to freeze frame each individual image thinking it was some sort of clue into something that was going on and you know i I was somewhat a part of this jake probably more so uh because i did a lot of digging and research but in between seasons three and four and none of this really gets answered by the end of season three so i was kind of at the same spot uh that the rest of the world was in when i was looking at it um just the the god loves you as he loved Jacob type thing you know
0: I believe that's the first yeah. reference we get to Jacob in the in the show
2: second so, yeah cuz uh was it the episode before they said something like shepherd wasn't even on Jacob's list
0: right, Correct. right yeah. yeah uh pickett yeah. yeah
2: yep uh so yeah again like introducing new new stories new characters uh that lead towards the end of the show um,
0: Which goes along with your yeah. thing of being more streamlined coming back from that mid-season yep, break.
2: Yep, exactly. Um, and like I, I watched a video on YouTube uh, just last night when I was you know making my notes for the episode. It's it's played in reverse, and you, you can hear like audio of it sounds they sound uh, Miss Clue be uh, saying something about uh, don't be you know only fools or. Maybe Jake will know this because he's Mr. Lostpedia better than I do. Only fools are, are limited by time and space. And it's just something, it's repeated just over and over and over again, right?
1: Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Only fools are enslaved by time and space. It is, as you said, it's, you got to play it backwards to hear it. But, yep, that's uh, uh one of the things that was caught about this uh, Room 23 video.
2: Yeah. But that that video is on, on YouTube. It's the entire scene just played backwards. Yep. And you can hear it. Interesting. But yeah, I remember like l- looking at the the Lost PD article, and it's just every single frame, every piece of audio of that uh, Room Twenty Three video was just dissected.
1: Yeah, there's a. I'm looking at that article right now. There is a lot. Like it's actually a, a longer article. <laughs> I mean, if you ever want to read it, like you don't expect there to be too much, but. Yeah. Wait, yeah is it, somebody, wait, you're
0: reading the article on the video or on Room 23? On
1: Room 23. But it has uh, stuff about – it has a description of the video. Well,
0: because they do make they, they do reference Room 23 a few more times, you know, so yes. it makes sense that it would be a little bit of a longer thing. We don't really get many – I mean, I think we do get, like, what its purpose was at one point, but it's it didn't end up really meaning nearly as much as I think people – put stock into it
2: yeah it never turned out to be what you know people had hyped it up to be at this time
1: yeah it actually had to be one of those things where it gets explained and it it gets explained to the new man in charge so like this is one of those like almost afterthoughts where they're like "Ah, maybe we should talk about room 23 a little more uh i guess it's its purpose was from the dharma initiative used to trigger amnesia in the hostiles after interrogating them So it's not to violate the truce. You know, there was the truce between Dharma and the uh, hostiles, but Dharma was definitely breaking that truce. But to kind of hide their uh, the fact that they were breaking it, they would use room 23 to wipe the minds of the hostiles.
0: The thing that that makes like that's strange to me about that is like. Most often, the others, the hostiles, whatever you want to call them, in any time period, often lived together, traveled in groups, whatever. They weren't really far from the pack, as it were, too often, right? So they kidnapped, however they did it, they kidnapped these these others, these hostiles, had to get them into either the submarine or a boat of some sort, take them over to the other island... Or just interrogate them there, like in the barracks or, or in some station that they already have, but somehow then get them over to the other island, put them in this brainwashing room. Then, while they're still asleep, get them back over to the main island and let them go, <laughs> hoping that their memories would be erased of the entire interrogation. <laughs> yeah, like seems, seems a bit much, doesn't <laughs> <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? Like that's that's what it is, right?
1: Yeah, that would have to be that the the process they take to do all that, and uh, yeah, definitely a lot more work. Uh, not tougher to believe. Yeah,
2: <laughs> sorry
1: to ruin
0: it for anybody out there, but like <laughs> that's what it was.
2: I try not to think about it too much, because yeah. <laughs> then things things like that happen.
0: Yeah. Speaking of the brainwashing, though, we do see that Sawyer is mesmerized uh, before he finally hears Kate yelling for some help. Uh, They get Carl out, and Sawyer mentions that now that they have him, they want the boat. A bit later, Pickett is waking Aldo up by slapping him. He asks where uh, the heroes went, and he mentions that Alex is with them. Juliet arrives and tells Pickett that they're letting the survivors go. He doesn't believe this, but she invokes Ben's name, and he still doesn't believe her, but she insists that Jack won't finish the surgery unless they're safe. Pickett says that he knows that Ben would rather die than let them escape. Which
2: seems incorrect. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I think he's very wrong in that assumption.
0: Well, that's, I mean, that, that is like the one thing that we know about Ben, especially having watched the series many times is anything, even, you know, later on sacrificing his own daughter in an effort to save his own life. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Like
2: he, he, his ultimate goal is his own, uh,
0: self-preservation.
2: Yeah. 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 His own self-preservation. Yeah. Not you know even if he lets them go he can get them back you know he can't resurrect at least you know well
0: that's the thing like that <laughs> that I've often joked about with like this show and I, I say it often about like Hawaii Five O in particular what, like you just said like he could get them back in theory because they're on an island they only have a finite number of places to run to or hide or whatever so that's i think one of the reasons why like the others don't necessarily chase our survivors all that often is because like they are more self-aware of like you can't go anywhere (laughs) yeah
2: yep there's only so many places you can run and hide there's only so many dharma stations
0: (laughs) although not when you're watching the show because it seems like there's always a new one (laughs) that's true in flashback, we see Juliet in Rachel's apartment, and she uh, Rachel asks how the interview went. Juliet mentions how it's not for her, it's too far away, so on and so forth. Rachel asks if she's the reason Juliet said no. And Juliet tries to play it off that the research doesn't even work, but Rachel confirms that it does. She shows Juliet a pregnancy test that's positive. They laugh, hug, and cry. And Rachel mentions how all she ever wanted was to have a baby. And now because of Juliet, she can. All she needs is to get healthier. And she says basically that uh, Edmund and his ethics can go stick it.
2: (laughs) And by the way, it's not like she's a few pounds overweight here when she's talking about getting healthy. (laughs) Like She obviously has a pretty severe form of cancer. And she's saying that she's pregnant. Like, so <laughs> yeah. getting healthy, you know, n- not exactly uh, the most realistic goal here. But, you know, congratulations. But realistically,
0: getting pregnant while having this severe form of cancer wasn't a goal either. So I think it's the positive outlook thing of, like, if this miracle can happen, then, you know, maybe I can get better.
2: As we know, miracles do tend to happen.
0: But yep. Anyway, continue. We also have, the next scene is one that I absolutely love because it's the whole Edmund is a super jerk thing. Edmund (laughs) is on his cell phone telling his own mother mother how she is insufferable (laughs) and mean.
1: But I like how they don't, it doesn't come off the bat saying it's his mother. Like he says the insufferable mean part. And then he goes, well, I'm sorry, mom. Like you don't ask his children. You're like, oh, he's talking to his mom. You Uh... wonder who would he say these things to? And then it's it's his mom.
2: <laughs> At this point, I'm kind of convinced. I think, uh, despite his Yugoslavian name, I think Edmund is actually from Jersey. <laughs> 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 yeah.
0: Juliet then approaches and tells him the news. He seems excited, but not for Rachel or Juliet, but because the research worked. He mentions wanting to confirm the notes and to publish it. She says that it's her sister and that she doesn't want to publish it. Edmund begins asking what she's concerned with as he steps off the curb and gets hit by a bus. Foreshadowing. (laughs) Foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> please
2: don't start doing that
0: sorry, really it was just a perfect flashbacks. moment I'm sorry <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want you to have yeah, any war uh, flashbacks Kevin but it was just a yeah, perfect exactly. moment it would be <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh man yeah love it love it love it love him getting hit yeah yeah, I love him getting hit by this bus um, however if he was an evil vampire as I uh, thought he was that probably wouldn't kill him, but thankfully it did. So yeah. blah, rest in peace, Edmund.
0: I remember a little fun. Piece
1: of trivia on this one and you, you could never tell, maybe if you slowly freeze frame and, and fast forward slowly, but surely, but the bus has an ad for Apollo candy bars. And, uh, I remember when this episode was being filmed, there were like, uh, some people kind of not exactly sneaking on set, but, uh, they got some behind-the-scenes shots of, oh, hey, there's a bus, and there's an Apollo ad on it, and so uh, that's how you knew that it was on. I find it funny that they went through the trouble of making some sort of ad that they can place on a bus when the bus itself was never going to be fully seen. It was just going to be that quick, hits Edmund, and then that's
0: that. Like, <laughs> Well, you said maybe if you freeze-frame it, so I think by this point they kind of knew that the the fan community was so into it that i think they probably just put that in there as like a fun little thing to see if people picked up on it
1: yeah and then you know paul you and i and i was just Liam about to say drove, it, yeah yeah we drove past the spot
0: yeah we were out driving around one day um i actually we got to i believe that was the day we went to uh oxford i got to go see The uh, building that is the exterior on the new Hawaii 5 series with King Kamehameha, the statue outside. And we were just driving around going to different places because Jake had the map on his phone. And we were like looking because we had seen a lot of the bigger places by that point that we wanted to go. And we were like, well, while we're in this area, let's see what else is around here. And... There was, there was a few other, like, little things, but that was it, like, where, you know, where Edmund got hit by the bus. And, of course, at the moment, not none of us really, I don't think, maybe we couldn't remember, I couldn't remember, but we all just kept saying Juliet's ex-husband or whatever, uh, where he got yeah. hit by the bus. And the funny part to me was we were driving, and that day, you, and it was you and Liam and myself, <clears throat> and we had a gigantic, like, full day-length discussion on basically the entirety of Star Wars canon and mythology. Yes. And so while we were driving at one, I think Liam and I were having a discussion. We were, it was a discussion. It was, it was definitely a friendly thing, but we were getting more into like debate territory at certain certain, certain points.
1: It was really intense.
0: But it wasn't, I don't think it was necessarily in like a, like a fighting, like we're gonna like not be friends sort of way. It was just passion.
1: Right, because obviously you guys are cool now and stuff like that. So no, it it definitely wasn't like a wasn't a a fight. It was def, but it was very passionate debate.
0: Yeah, Um, and but it was funny to me because we were talking, and all of a sudden we just go, and Jake just goes, "Oh, that was it!" Like we just drove past, and we all we We both kind of looked back. And was it sprinkling
1: at the time? Because there, I think, like yeah. So like we didn't want to actually feel like it always. Yeah, we we didn't stop. We just drove past it and I was like, "There it is, guys." And we moved on.
0: Cuz that was actually as we were driving away, if I remember correctly, I even said something along the lines of like, "Oh, that was it." And I, you know, we both uh, Liam and I both turned and looked back and I'm like, "Do we want to go back and actually like see it like get a picture or something and we all kind of just like collectively were like nah <laughs> like it was no, enough special. to drive past it and see it but we don't necessarily it wasn't like the building where Locke fell where we want to get like a cool picture like you know I'm. we can't really uh, you know we can get the picture of like laying in front of the building where Locke fell or standing maybe where, where Faraday and Desmond stood at Oxford we can't necessarily recreate us getting hit by a bus really <laughs>
1: I mean, I would have gladly, like, had my car in the shot. Like,
0: Well, okay, I think uh, we can recreate that shot, but only once.
1: <laughs> we don't have to, like, recreate the hitting part, but it would be like, oh, look, Paul's about to get hit by Jake's car. And,
0: you know, but anyways. And then he actually steps time. on the gas.
2: <laughs> I may or may not have tried to recreate that scene, you know, just with random people pissing me off while walking on the streets of Philly sometimes, but... <laughs> Aside from that,
0: no. Now, how long did it in this scene, because, Jake, like you mentioned, the fact that there was the the thing on the side of the bus. Uh, how many times did it take? Because prob- I'll, I'll admit it probably took me maybe the second or third time watching it through to realize that in the opening bit of that scene where he is telling his mother that she's, you know, insufferable and mean and all that stuff, that you see the bus sitting in the background almost waiting one could argue it's just stopped for you know to pick up or or let passengers off maybe it stopped at a red light I honestly don't remember if there was a light there uh at the moment but uh how long how many times did it take for you guys to realize that in that beginning of that shot the bus is actually sitting back there waiting presumably to run him over
1: uh I didn't I didn't catch it the first time I saw this episode and then I read the Lost PD article a couple days later and it was on there. So now that I had read it, I notice it now.
2: And I still didn't realize it, so I'll let you know when I see it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, it, as he's walking out of the building, it's uh, Lost PD says it's at a bus stop. So, uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, but knowing like the, the kind of hint that they give later, I like to think that it's actually just there (laughs) you know like waiting
1: absolutely i can believe that
2: apparently there are also mountains visible in the background of the scene and there are no mountains in miami so yes there you go small continuity error
0: okay so edmund got hit by the bus and everyone is freaking out and juliet is just like flabbergasted gasp as jake would say (laughs) um on the island in the OR Jack is finishing the surgery and Tom looks sick he asks Tom about it and he confirms that he doesn't like blood and unlike when uh, you know he was having this almost same conversation with Hurley back in the first you know season one instead of like oh don't look he just like holds up a chunk of tissue and he was just like oh then you don't want to look at this right <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, because Jack, you know, obviously still uh, has a little resentment towards this guy. So he kind of ad- enjoys seeing him uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, Jack was, as as the kids say these days, and here you go, Jake, I'm not such an old man because he, he, he was salty there.
1: Oh, there you go. I was like, mm. he's going to use something
0: incorrectly. But no, that would be <laughs> the correct usage of
2: salty. Yes. Yeah, salty sounds about right. And uh, it just goes to further show. You just compared him to Hurley. So he's definitely now the comic relief. There yeah. you go.
1: And that's, just, that's just the way he goes for the rest of his time on the show. Yep.
0: Jack asks why they wouldn't have taken Ben somewhere better if they can leave the island. Tom mentions that since the sky turned purple, their communications have been down. And this was the question, I believe I asked it to Andy in the season two finale, but we didn't really go into it. How I mean, maybe they didn't think about the fact that the communications were down, but I guess it's just lucky on Ben's part and Michael's part, especially that the bearing that they had to give to Michael was still correct after the sky turned purple. And, you know, they lost communication. And I like to think maybe the island moved at that point. I don't know. But yeah, I guess it's just lucky that the bearing worked
2: yeah, I'm subscribing to the thought that the bearing doesn't change unless the island moves and the island did not move right there. Ooh, okay. okay. That's, what, that's, what, that's what I'm going with. But
1: I do think it's an overall great question that Jack asks because the tumor was found uh, 75 days prior to the surgery. And uh, 75 days ago, obviously the sky hadn't turned purple or anything like that. Like, I almost feel like Ben could Ben had two choices when he found out that he had a tumor, and and after the crash of eight fifteen, he can go through this long elaborate con of getting the of getting Jack, or he can go off the island and get some professional treatment in a professional hospital. And he's like, uh, "Fuck it, we're gonna go get the doctor here." Like, <laughs> I think he, he's like, uh, "Let's go the hard way," and I don't get it. Like, uh, Jack is absolutely, I think, very fair in asking that question. That it didn't. It didn't have to be two days, you know, he said, uh, time goes, two days ago, the sky went purple, okay, but you've known about the tumor for how long now? Yeah, there were 73 days before that. Well, yeah, yeah, they crashed 73 days, and then Ben says that two days prior to the crash, he found out about it. So 75 days of just him plotting to kidnap a surgeon, then going and getting one on the main, you know,
2: out in the real world. Well, I think if, they if, kind of make a point to say that he thinks it's kind of fate. Like, I
0: would you know, think it's that. I find and... out a tumor. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead.
2: No, I don't want to. I don't want to misquote him, but I probably will here, where where he says, uh, "I find out I have a tumor," and then two days later, a, a spinal surgeon crashes on this island. Like, yeah. Falls all right. The that's sky, yeah.
1: Sure. sure. That makes sense in a way, but then he goes through the long process. Of getting this doctor to the point where seven, he
0: also kidnaps two other people, like Saeed yeah. said, you know, one to make the other cooperate. And, you know, it's, it he has to, he has to go through, like, yeah, no, I, I, I get you, Jake. He, he goes through this giant, elaborate thing for what?
2: Putting himself in jeopardy, pretending to be someone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's,
1: it, it was, it was so risky. I mean, Jack talked about the, the risk actually in the previous episode where he's like, you said you should have been in surgery yesterday or no, you, you got about a week until this thing kills you. And it's like, if anything would have went wrong in Ben's plans, he could have died. Like, okay, here's
0: the question. If it's so, if it's so, uh, fast growing and whatever that in 70 something days, it's gotten to the point where it's almost inoperable. Like, Kevin, you just brought up a really good point where you said the fact that he had to then pretend to be someone else and whatever. Jack, at certain points, because he was, you know, Henry Gale was beat up. He had the arrow through him or whatever. Did he not ever notice? Like, because when we see Ben at certain points after the the revelation of the tumor, it starts to It, it it's as if it starts to grow dramatically because... It's almost like a lump coming off the back of his neck. So did Jack never notice this the entire time for the, what, week or two weeks that they were in the hatch? It's just all of a sudden, after 70 days, this thing becomes like a huge second head, basically?
2: <laughs> I don't think it was a second head. Maybe a small hunchback, maybe, if anything. But, uh... Um, I, I kind of get
1: it. Saying that too is the, yeah. How did he not catch the tumor uh, with Jack being a spinal surgeon and being familiar with these kind of things too? Uh, I I don't have an answer for that actually.
0: The other
2: point it, I was her- speaking from experience, it's hard to see a tumor from the outside, so I'm not going to rely, uh, you know, uh, put too much weight behind that. However, I will say Ben was also struggling at this point. And this is the point I just lost in my head that I couldn't remember. Uh, ben was struggling at this point to. Uh, grasp why this was happening to him. And I think uh, there was a certain part of him that was still looking for the island to heal him. Right?
0: Yeah. Like yeah. Locke, so, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, he's, you know... they think, probably thinking in his head, this can't happen. You know, Jacob will not allow this to happen. Something along those lines. Like, people don't get sick here. That kind of thing. Like, he's he's... When Jack tells him, you know, oh, you got maybe a week left here, buddy. Like, that's when it really sinks in. And it's like, you know, okay, I guess I'm going to have to do something about this. I'm not getting better.
0: Yeah, a good, uh, good point. Good point. Okay, so a gush of blood then squirts upwards as the heart monitor begins to beep faster. Tom asks what happened and Jack says that he nicked an artery, but this time it was on accident. Tom wants to know if he can fix it, but Jack is already on it. With Kate and Sawyer, they arrive at Alex's boat, and they have Carl and start to push the boat towards the water. Sawyer asks Alex about being Ben's daughter and how that was a twist, and he calls Carl Cheech, which is kind of ironic, considering they have Cheech Marin as a, an actor later on in the show. Uh, yeah,
2: that was the nickname I was referring to earlier, which kind of didn't make sense to me. I guess he's referring to him just being, looking, being so loopy and, and you know feeling high. I guess, from that experience that he went through in room 23.
0: That's what I, yeah, being drugged out, that's what I kind of took it as.
2: Yeah, yeah, I guess that's it. It's kind of a stretch, but...
0: Right, because his his Sheena referencing the first female, you know, he could have easily (laughs) said Wonder Woman or even he could have gone, yeah, I I mean, I understand not jungle necessarily, but he could have gone just like badass female and said like Sarah Connor or Buffy or, you know what I mean? Like anything. But he pulls a reference from, what'd you say, the 1920s? Like, (laughs) Uh, well, she remained
2: semi relevant throughout the 1900s
0: they're loading carl into the boat as carl notices danny and points him out and i didn't really write it but now that i'm thinking about it it was a really funny thing where he's just like danny and sawyer's like no sawyer (laughs) uh sawyer turns around
2: they they, they go on to have a good relationship to uh here over the next couple episodes I, i enjoy the sawyer carl dynamic
0: yeah yeah Uh, Sawyer turns around and Pickett is aiming a gun at him. Juliet yells for Danny, who turns around and gets shot down by her.
2: Now, for all Juliet's faults, this, she did good here. Just ridding us of Danny Pickett.
0: Back in the OR, Jack is working on Ben, but there's a lot of blood. Tom is asking what's wrong, but Jack is too busy working he mentions that there's a lot of blood and he will need Tom's help or Ben will die. On the beach, Juliet is telling Kate, Sawyer and Carl to go and Sawyer won't question it at all. Uh but Juliet confirms that Alex must stay, saying that uh it's you know what her father uh would want because if Carl, you know, her and Carl can't be together, if Carl has to go, she has to stay. Alex and Carl. I didn't write anything other than Alex and Carl share a somewhat sappy teenage goodbye because I was just like, I mean, as much as I love teen mellow drama, I was like, that's not what I watch this show for.
1: Yeah, I kind of groaned a little bit
2: during that scene. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel for them. They're, they're they, it seems like they're both kind of trapped, caught up in something that they really don't want to be involved in. So and they're just trying to find a little uh, escape in each other.
0: Kate and Sawyer then get in the boat, or get the boat in the water, before Juliet tells them to wait, throwing Kate a walkie-talkie. In the OR, we hear Kate coming through to talk to Jack. And Jack is trying to balance working on Ben and listening to Kate as he has Tom hold the walkie. And I just I think it's so weird where he's just like, I'm going to need your help. But then all of a sudden when Kate can potentially be free and I get it, that's the thing like that's his ultimate goal. But he's just like, hold that walkie talkie up. And Tom's just like, well, what about helping you? And he's just like, it doesn't matter now. Hold the walkie talkie. up." (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, Yeah, uh, low key, like the the funniest moment of, of this episode to me. Is Tom's old man shuffle over to the walkie talkie? <laughs> <Like, laughs> you gotta go back and watch it because, like, he doesn't just walk like a normal human over to the walkie talkie. He's kind of like hunched over doing a little old man shuffle over to the walkie talkie. <laughs> and I, I laugh every time I see that. Maybe it's just me.
0: I don't know if I've ever noticed it. I'll have to go back and watch it now.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. Go back and, and check that out. <laughs>
0: Uh, Kate confirms that they're safe and that they're leaving and that the blonde woman helped them. And he asks to hear the story. She goes on to tell him his story from the pilot about counting to five when he uh, his first solo surgery. She gets incredibly emotional while telling him this. Uh, I believe that's because she at that moment, of course, she thinks that they that may be the last time that they ever speak to each other. Uh, and actually Jack kind of furthers that along by trying to make Kate promise that she will not come back for him. She tries to refuse, but he insists they have a little back and forth about it. But finally he insists that, uh, she does not come back and he tells Tom to turn the walkie talkie off.
1: I love Matthew Fox's acting here. And, uh, the way he delivers those lines, the promise me you'll never come back here for me. And, uh, I don't know. It's just uh, that has been one of my favorite parts of this episode.
0: See, like that, like the teenage drama, like I said, I watched teenage drama, whatever. I wasn't necessarily looking for it in this, but this drama of like, you know, in this moment, again, not from our point of view, because we know the series, but like sometimes when I watch the show, I still get caught up in it. Like, even though I know what's going to happen next, I try to put it a little bit out of my mind where I'm just like, what's going to happen to these characters? So I do kind of get caught up in like, oh, my gosh, this is a really emotional moment for these two. So I totally get what you're saying. It Like this emotional moment plays way more yes. than the other one did. I love
2: the confidence that Jack uh, has in this moment when he's like, don't come back for me. Like he knows probably one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to kill him and they're going to have nothing to come back for or they're going to keep their word and he's going to get out of there. And, you know, obviously either one of those things ends up happening. But in that moment, that's what he believes.
1: Yeah, and it, it plays in a little later. Uh, ooh, which episode is it? Man from Tallahassee. Yeah, where like uh, Kate gets captured by the others. Jack comes in and says, "You know, I I told you not to come back for me because." And Jack kind of reveals too that I'm going to come back for you. He, you know, he was kind of going off of the idea that the others were going to let him go, and then he would be able to turn around and come back for the rest of them.
2: Which was probably the best plan yet. And it all goes to shit, obviously. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I gotta, I gotta mention Michael uh, Giacchino does his thing in this, in this scene too. You know, Absolutely. You get the, the musical cues, and that's really what gets you even more so than the emotional impact of actually what's going on when that music hits. It just does something to you.
0: One hundred percent. Okay. On the beach, uh, Kate is yelling for Jack, and. There's a little bit of silence for a few seconds, but Sawyer softly tells her that they have to go now, and they set off. In flashback, we see Juliet at the morgue with Edmund, and she's being told about paperwork, and she starts to sign the paperwork and begins crying. On Hydra Island, Jack is now watching Ben from the gallery. Juliet comes to ask if he got the tumor. He confirms that he did, and that she'll have to do a follow-up he asks if he's going back to his cell, and she tells him that he will until they can figure out what to do with him. And he says they, as Kevin, you pointed out about the pronoun game earlier, and I wrote, Mm -hmm. does she no longer consider herself one of them in this moment?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, she knows there's going to be repercussions coming for her uh, after killing Danny, so...
0: Yep. Uh... Jack then asks what Ben said to convince her to help him. She says that it doesn't matter, but he says that it does matter to him because after everything he's been put through, he wants to know.
2: He always wants to know. Yeah, yep.
0: And I think that's and I've, I've said it before. I've talked about it with Jake as much as I, you know, I do give I do give Jack the credit. That is a huge character flaw, and it is something that a lot of people have. I actually have it myself as well. Maybe that's why I'm able to notice it so much in Jack. He just – he always he always has to know. He always has to have all the information. I think that's unrealistic, and being someone who feels that way himself, I know that it's unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's why it bugs me so much is because I, I see that from myself in the in the Jack character. Not that I'm comparing myself to Jack in any way because I'm not – but if I was, that would be the way.
1: And it's part of Jack's character flaw of just not being able to let go. Like, he saw them have a private conversation, so his mind fixated on what did they say, you know, to change the mind. And he can't let it go, because at this point, Jack still has a tough time letting go.
2: And speaking personally, me being someone who uh, intentionally likes to keep a lot of people in the dark sometimes, I feel like I'd be a great foil for Jack Shepard. <laughs>
0: In flashback, Juliet is crying and is handed a tissue by Ethan. She thanks him as Albert approaches her, saying that he knows it's a bad time, he heard what happened on the news, and he wanted to uh, try one last effort to get her to join the team. She mentions that Edmund was hit by a bus, and he confirms that he saw this on the news. She gets this weird thing where she realizes that in their interview, she claimed that if he was hit by a bus, she could work for them and then it happened but albert tries to assure her that that he doesn't even remember her saying that yeah right really?
2: no i mean in his defense richards getting a little old so <laughs> so his memory might be going i'm just saying
1: yeah at about the 900 year mark that's when the memory starts fading <laughs> yeah, that's realistic uh.
2: I just thought it was funny, too, because I know we were getting towards the end of the episode, and I had a little case of the sniffles as I was watching this, and I was dying for a tissue, but I was like, ah, it's just a couple more minutes left, I'll let it go, and then here comes Ethan with the tissues, and I'm like, just rub <laughs> it in, why don't you?
0: <laughs> she wants to know why he's there, and he confirms that the timing is terrible, but he wants to plead his case one more time. He wants six months, and he mentions that she can even be back before her sister gives birth. And she questions him on this and he says that they are very thorough in their research. When she asks if her sister can come, he says that they're pretty remote. And then he confirms that they're not exactly in Portland. And that's I love that that kind of twist of I mean, even though we know that to be the case where he's just like this is where she finally gets the first kind of thing of like, it's not exactly where you think it is. Mm hmm. And uh so I, I
1: mentioned I watched it with subtitles. One of the things I liked about the subtitles is that they uh italicized the in. He's like not exactly in Portland and like the the subtitles reflect how Richard uh his tone uh, changes there too. So I was like, Oh, I love it.
2: <laughs> Ethan's looks during when when this is all going on too is it's classic Ethan, just creepy Staring, leering.
1: Doesn't talk much or anything. You know, yeah, it's. it's uh.
2: Yeah, he's very creepy.
0: Back at the Hydra station, Juliet tells Jack that she's been on the island for three years, two months, and 28 days. Ben told her that if she helped Jack, she could go home. And that's my final note for the episode.
2: And somebody on Lostpedia did the math, and apparently that worked out into. Six days before 9-11.
1: Correct, yep. Yeah. And also... So
2: I'm, w- within- I'm w- wondering if that was intentional. For some oh,
1: reason. Yeah. And then, yeah, so uh, within a few months of Desmond's arrival as well. Nice. So
2: I know th- I, I know there's a lot of Lostpedia notes for this episode, uh, but that's Jake's thing, so I'm going to let him take <laughs> it away.
1: Yeah, there's a few of them on here. Um, I try to start sprinkling them in with my like discussion as they happen. Um, But a few of them that I guess are of semi-interest. This is the first episode that does not feature any scenes on the main island. The only other episode is Happily Ever After. Uh, We talked about the Middle-O's anagram as Lost Time" In uh, in an interview with Damon and Carlton, they said that there's two Easter eggs in this episode. So the Middle-O's was one of them. And they never really said what the second one was. And, uh, but the fans have have speculated that it's the backward speech from room 23 that we discussed. The only fools are enslaved by time and space. Um, that makes sense to me. So I was satisfied with that.
0: But then, or the Apollo bar uh, thing,
1: or the Apollo bar thing as well. Again, yeah, it was never like confirmed by uh, any producers or anybody like that. Um, Paul, you and I have talked about how uh, intense sometimes lost fans are, or how uh, analytical they get, and this one I just saw thought was so uh, left field here, but the only fools are enslaved by time and space. I guess somebody rearranged the letters, and it's an anagram of bones of lost nadlers may lay deep in cave. I've actually heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> but like, come on! Like, th- there's no way the producers were thinking that. <laughs> like, why is that? Uh, I don't know. Like, that's just taking it further than it definitely should be going. Like, I guarantee that anagram means nothing. <laughs> but imagine.
2: But just, I mean, this is how far some people were taking it at the time, yeah. and which is crazy.
1: Yep, it just it just uh, it goes to show the intensity, I always use the intensity of Lost fans while the show was on air, whether it was freeze framing, whether it was anagramming as much as they could, or analyzing anything uh, that just seemed remotely connected. You know, it got noted, it got t- talked about, and uh, uh, Lost was definitely a, a, a heavily talked about show, uh, for sure, in one way or another. Uh, when it comes to bloopers, I'm not going to read any of these really, but uh, I guess a lot of medical things that happened involving the surgery were just off or wrong or different. Oh yeah, that's, a, that's a whole
2: there. long article that I that I saw. Yeah. And- I guess some real doctor just went in and broke it down and was like, nope, 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 and nope. (laughs)
1: Hey, Lost never tried to be claimed to be medically accurate. (laughs) They were more focused on other big things. Uh, So, like, it didn't – to me, it didn't take – as somebody that's not in the medical profession or anything like that, it didn't take away from anything that they were so wrong. Like, it's not like – uh, Jack was like, I'm going to make an incision on his back and then makes an incision on his arm. Well, then I'd have to call that out. But but when something like to diagnose a spinal tumor, you need an MRI or a CT scan, not an X-ray. But to me, I'm like, I could care less what scan you got to get. They use the scan. They found out he had a tumor. The end. Like,
2: exactly.
0: Uh-uh. It doesn't and take I... away from the story.
2: Right. I will, I will do my thing where uh, I'll say the episode was written by Carlton Cuse and Jeff Pinkner.
0: I was actually just uh, about to say that, yeah. And I believe it was uh, Bender. Jack Bender directed it, right?
2: No, no. no? Directed by Stephen Williams. Yeah. Who oh. I'm, yeah, I'm, up until last night, I was not at all familiar with, but. Which is kind of weird because he's directed 26 episodes of Lost.
0: Yeah, it's really weird is... because, like, from what I, what I remember seeing, like, he was kind of, like, the, Like, okay, in terms of writers, because a lot of us tend to know the writers' names more, it was like, okay, Damon and Carlton were at the top, and then kind of, like, I don't want to say the second in charge, but, like, the second most prolific were Eddie and Adam uh, on mm-hmm. the, of the writers' yeah. staff, right? So, like, the way I always the way I always got it was that Jack Bender was the head director in Hawaii and he oversaw everything and sort of his second was Stephen Williams. And he did, you know, maybe not necessarily as many episodes, but he was also like a higher up producer. And he was, like I said, he was kind of Jack Bender's second in command, but it was really weird because around season five, Five, like I started seeing like a lot more of like the DVD things like on YouTube and whatever. And like he would be in some of that stuff. But I think season five was like his last season. I don't think he worked on season six, like at all.
1: Correct. Yeah. That's uh, what I'm seeing here on his Lostpedia page. He did some of the missing pieces as well, but season six, he was no longer listed in the credits and last we saw him,
0: Which is very strange to me.
1: Yeah, I wonder what happened. He probably got a DUI. <laughs> like, all right, Stephen, we got to kill you off the show. Uh, <laughs> you
2: no. Know uh, just one one final note before we uh, kill Stephen Williams. Uh, <laughs> he did go on to do uh, like a lot of other TV episodes: The Walking Dead, Westworld, more recently, uh, Agent Carter for marvel fans like myself but he direct one of his earliest jobs in the 90s he directed an episode of a of a show called flash forward and not the one from the 2000s that came out after lost there was a show called flash forward in like 1996 that he directed an episode of which i thought was kind of funny
0: huh interesting but if we don't have anything else on this episode uh hit them with your social media guys
1: all right, you can find me on Snapchat, Twitter, and Instagram. My handle is Jake L C E. On Facebook, the name's Jacob Wolken. I'm following Paul. I'm following Clock Shelves, So hit me up there.
2: And across all forms of social media, it's at seventh power. Spell it out. Just replace the V in seventh with a seven.
0: And as always, you can get in touch with Clock Shelves on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, at Clockshelves. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. Guys, thank you so much for being on this episode. Yeah, hey, a lot of fun.
2: Yep, Paul, thanks for having me. Jake, good to finally be on an episode with you. I'm sure it won't be the Great. last time.
0: And I will end with the traditional thank you, namaste, and good luck. Namaste. Uh, The only other thing I was going to say in regards to your question, Jake, of, like, why didn't, you know, the other reason why he didn't go off-island, and yes, we know the others have connections off the island, we know they have large amounts of money off the island, but I think it might fall under the same joke that everybody makes about Richard, you know, uh, after the ending of the series, if he got off the island, like, What's he going to do? He has literally – he doesn't have a social security number. He doesn't have any records of any sort. So, like, how could he – how could Ben check into a hospital? Ben has a lot of fake identities. We see him uh, – I know. I, again, I prefaced stuff. it by saying I <laughs> i know that. I was just making the, yeah. the joke, but I guess it wasn't that funny. Uh, Not laughing.
2: <laughs> ben, ben should have his social security number, though, by the way.
1: Actually, that too. Ben should have a social security number being born off the island, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Boom. Now I am laughing, but it's just at you, Paul. Ha uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Just like every other day in my life. Ben should be all right. Just like every other day in my life since I became friends with you, Jake. Just... <laughs> I... The biggest joke you have, Paul, is yourself. Damn, cold-blooded. <laughs> I say it out of love. All right, so Kevin, let's continue here. Um, <laughs> you know, <this> wipe, w- <laughs> w- Paul, wipe that
2: tear away and let's continue. <laughs> uh, this is the second time I've been kicked off this show.
0: <laughs> Maybe one day you'll learn your lesson. <laughs>
1: uh. Strike three and like I'm just going to all of a sudden Skype will be disconnected and I'll be like, uh, what, 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 what happened?
0: Hello? <laughs> The sky will turn purple and you'll you'll lose all communication. (laughs) But just just think about it for a second. If that had been the case, if Adam and Eve, for whatever reason, were Rose and Bernard. And then there's that one person who was on the Internet and was basically told, no, that's foolish. You're an idiot. There's that's way too far fetched and then that one person who probably had a screen name so they couldn't ever really prove that it was them but they would just know themselves like I they know. had
1: they came up with it yep yep